Why did the barf and the booger fall in love? It's what's on the inside that counts. What did the cat say when it answered the phone? Can you hear meow? What does Mr. Flamingo say when he's fed up? I've had enough. I'm putting my other foot down. If you just read the bio for Dr. Steve, host of Weird Medicine on Sirius XM 103 and made popular by two really comedy shows, Opie and Anthony and Ron and Fez, you would have thought that this guy was was a bit of, uh, you know, a, a clown. Why can't you give me the respect that I'm entitled to? I've got diphtheria crushing my esophagus. I've got Ebola virus dripping from my nose. I've got the leprosy of the heart bone, exacerbating my incredible woes. I want to take my brain out and blast it with the wave, an ultrasonic echographic and a pulsating shave. I want a magic pill for my ailments, the health equivalent of Citizen Kane. And if I don't get it now in the tablet, I think I'm doomed and I'll have to go insane. I want a requiem for my disease. So I'm paging Dr. Steve. From the world-famous Cardiff Electric Network Studios, it's Weird Medicine, the first and still only uncensored medical show in the history of broadcast radio, now a podcast. I'm Dr. Steve with my little pal, Dr. Scott, a traditional Chinese medicine provider. He gives me street cred with whack alternative medicine assholes. Hello, Dr. Scott. Hey, Dr. Steve. Tacey's not here today, but in her place, P.A. Lydia, back from sabbatical. Hello, P.A. Lydia. Hey, y'all. This is a show for people who had never listened to a medical show on the radio or the Internet. If you've got a question, you're embarrassed to take to your regular medical provider. Or if you can't find an answer anywhere else, give us a call at 347-766-4323. That's 347-Poohhead. Follow us on Twitter at Weird Medicine or at Dr. Scott WM. Visit, oh, are you okay over there? <laughs> Visit our website at drsteve.com for podcasts, medical news, and stuff you can buy. Most importantly, we're not your medical providers. Take everything you hear with a grain of salt. Don't act on anything you hear on this show without talking to, with your health care provider. All right, very good. Uh, don't forget stuff.drsteve.com. That's stuff.drsteve.com for all of your online shopping needs. really makes a difference. Uh, and Dr. Scott's website at simplyherbals.net. And Dr. Scott brought us some more CBD nasal spray, the greatest thing that's ever been made. Yes, thank you. Check that out at simplyherbals.net. Now, we have a new uh, sponsor, Dr. Scott and PA Lydia. Cool. This is the uh, – we were talking the other day about um, erectile dysfunction. We talked about L-prostadil. Okay. And we talked about in Alprostil injections, yep. and we talked about um, the uh, Muse Alprostadone Prostadil uh, suppository. We talked about uh, PD five inhibitors like sildenafil and uh, Viagra and stuff like that. And somebody said, "Well, why didn't you talk about electrical or uh, you know electrical <laughs> acoustic shockwave therapy?" And I. I texted him back said, well, just hang on, because uh, we had something going. And this is the Phoenix, and it is a home acoustic uh, shockwave therapy device. So I'm not going to turn it on because it's loud. Okay. But it delivers. It's like, you know, the kidney uh, uh, 
folks that have well, that kidney folks, them kidney folks, like you know, them <laughs> kidney folks, yeah. Yeah, people who have um, kidney stones mm-hmm. and they can't get them out with a stent or something, they will use shockwaves. Right. This is similar. And what it does is it induces some in good inflammation in the uh, cavern, uh, cavernous, uh, spongy tissue in the penis, mm-hmm. and it induces uh, some healing and increased blood flow. And um, over time, will you know, is will improve, mo- you know, eighty to ninety percent of the time, improve erectile function. <laughs> so, I thought um, our we've got a couple of friends that have some issues, and uh, you know what, your old pal Dr. Steve's got a little issue as well. I'm sixty-seven years old. You have normal changes in your uh, in your sexual function, sure, right? Mm-hmm. And so I did a thing called the. Um, oh, did you go for it? Not well. Yeah, they. Uh, God, I have a, oh a unit. God. I so I did a thing called the um, uh, nocturnal tumescence test, which is basically just a strap oh, of, that, yeah. of uh, paper that goes around your flaccid penis, and if you wake up in the morning and it's broken, you have an erection in the middle of the night. Well, several nights in a, you know, out of seven i didn't break the you know it's like oh hell i didn't i didn't break the uh um the the strip of paper yep <clears throat> so i was not having nocturnal erections which is you know that's a, a sign that there may be a problem and i do you know i do you see alice and stuff like that and get that nice big cat can't scratch it sort of you know blood flow <laughs> so God. So anyway, or ballpark. Cat can't scratch. Yeah, so. <laughs> can't scratch. Cat can't scratch it, or it looks like uh, ballpark Frank in the uh, microwave. Oh, that's that's a good example. But anyway, so, uh, but I, I would like to do it without taking a pill to get that effect. Mm-hmm. So um, I did this one time, and then I started noticing, and really, they say it could take anywhere from 8 to 12 weeks after the first application. I, me, this is me, so this is anecdotal, and some of this could be psychological, too, noticed that I was having, you know, nocturnal tumescence every night. As a matter of fact, I broke the, the you know, the stuff every That's single great. night in a row for seven nights after that. So, so I'm going to keep using it, and I'll let you know. But if you want to try it, you can get it for like 29 bucks a month. Uh, it is pricey, but there's coupons. If you use one of those coupon things... I got like 175 bucks off of mine. And I think if you use our link, you get a discount as well. So go to ed, like erectile dysfunction, .drsteve.com. ed.drsteve.com. You can check the stupid thing out. Let me know uh, what you think about it. And uh, don't forget um, patreon.com slash weirdmedicine. That's Tacey and me. Scott's been on there once. He was on the Chad Zumach episode. Mm-hmm. That was fun. Mm-hmm. That was a good one. And then uh, cameo.com slash weirdmedicine. I'll say, you know, fluid to your mama or whatever you want me to say. All right? All right. Very good. Nice to see you, uh, PA Lydia. Thank you. It's, it's and, great to be back. And good, good to have you back. And Dr. Scott, uh, check out his website. It's simplyherbals.net. That's simplyherbals.net. And Tacey's not here today, but we're still going to do Tacey's time of topics. It's just going to be Lydia's time of topics. So we'll try to figure that one out. And we'll do that on the fly. 
Um, matter of fact, well, hell, let's just do it right now. Let's Throw her in the deep end. Yeah. It's Tacy's time Whoops. of topics. Damn it. I, t- I got to get the timing right on that. Let's try it again. It's Lydia's time of topics. <laughs> a time for taste. Uh, Lydia. Discuss topics <laughs> of the day. Not to be confused with Topic Time with Harrison Young, which is copyrighted by Harrison Young and Area 58 Public Access. And now, here's Lydia. <laughs> that was really ham-handed Hello, and not good. <laughs> All right, what you got for us today, Lydia? Well... Uh, the the main thing that I, I would talk about, I think, if I had the platform, which I do now, <laughs> is uh, my newfound soiree into anaphylaxis in kids. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's why that's you why I was That was what I, why I was uh, away on sabbatical a bit longer than, than So expected. tell everybody what anaphylaxis is. Uh, so anaphylaxis is an allergic reaction, a type of allergic reaction uh, where, you know, in medicine, we consider it what's called IgE mediated. Mm. So uh, it's a type of reaction. <laughs> so a bit more serious than your regular uh, allergies that cause maybe watery eyes or running right, nose well, it's or immediate. sneezing. Yeah, it's immediate. Uh, you may have airway compromise, meaning you could not breathe. You know, right. your airway could s- swell. Mm-hmm. Uh, people be un- unable to swallow. But you can also have uh, gastrointestinal manifestations like mm-hmm. vomiting or extreme abdominal pain, yep. low blood pressure, other end organ damage uh, can affect your heart, liver, kidneys. So it's not good so for you. Is it's what not you're good. It's life threatening. Okay. Yes. Yes. And life threatening. So what does that have to do with you? Yeah. So I was uh, just at work. Uh, one day last week and uh, got a call from my mother that my daughter was vomiting and she's two. She's vomiting. There there's stomach vomiting. bugs around. My, my lady. Here's how that call went. Lady, your, da- your daughter's a vomiting. She's, that's <laughs> Is that how she sounds? Quite precisely. Okay. And so I said, okay. <laughs> she's well. got the green apple quick step, don't you know? <laughs> <laughs> and it was the first time, but I was prepared for that because yeah. there are a lot of gastrointestinal sure. illnesses going around right that's now. That's right. So I door dashed some Pedialyte. Okay. From my office. Very good. I'm like, okay, there will be some Pedialyte at your door soon. And then There's, about... That's so cool that you can do that now. Isn't it neat? Yeah. It's my kid cool. was hungry one night and I just, you know, Uber eats something over to his house. They just delivered it to him. It was cool. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. That's what so. I do every once in a while. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. and then about five minutes later, she called and she said, she's really saying her stomach hurts. Uh, I think you need to come over yeah and i have a full clinic schedule and i thought well you know i don't but i think she'll be okay right. you can handle this I think you can handle this she's and then still a mom she's still, you, like, you work to come come to the house because she's out on the porch <laughs> and she's a she's caring putting on a, putting on a scene i'll tell you that listen is that, what, uh, like, was that how it went it's, it gets better okay. yeah okay. so then five minutes later she calls <laughs> on facetime and says i think she has a rash oh. i think she has a rash now oh no so i said okay well let's give her some benadryl oh well i don't have any benadryl lydia so I door dashed some Benadryl. Oh, for goodness sakes. I ain't got none of that highfalutin <laughs> city Is this getting long? <laughs> I got some liniment, though. I'm sorry, any other stuff to face. <laughs> oh, no, he's so doing it. We, have, we got, have no Benadryl. I got some possum grease, and I could make a liniment out of it. I could make it. a poultice, a poultice. <laughs> yeah, put a poultice God, no poultices, please. Okay, so. Uh, so anyway, mm. I, I, I noticed the rash, and Ella... 
uh, when she was younger, did have a milk allergy that mm-hmm. was had the potential to go and cause anaphylaxis because she had hives on her face. Ah, uh, there you go. Previously, so she had previously been AKA prescribed an urticaria. Yes, or urticaria. So, I, I decide to to leave, pick up some Benadryl from the hospital pharmacy, and start driving. And you know, it's from exit. Uh, it's about the twenty minute nobody, drive. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's about a twenty minute drive. So as I'm as I'm driving, I get so you phone get calls. on the four oh five, and yeah. I took her in now. Head south. Anyway, essentially, moral of the story: every five minutes, I get a new phone call with a new symptom. Yeah. Uh, oh no! No. So, yeah, so now she's drooling, and now the rash is on her face, and now her face is so. I'm just I said, call nine one one. You know, call nine one one. Really, it yeah. was like that. Yeah, very very fast happening. So I got there and uh, tried to get some Benadryl into her. By this time, her entire face was swollen. Her entire body was covered in hives. So you walk in and my my mother is freaking out in a separate room. In a separate room. My two year old comes Did walking she have the and screaming. Oh, oh no, I got the vapors. <laughs> I got, I can't. Drool and vomit hanging out of her mouth. Oh my god! Just comes up to the door. Your daughter did. Yes, she came to the door. She came to the door. Mommy, mommy, it was quite traumatic. Anyway, oh, and it I tried like a to. Scene like, from the Exorcist. It did. It was terrible, and my mom's just like running around frantically, right? Which is a highlight of its importance. <laughs> does she listen to this show? To tra- she does not. Okay. <laughs> God no. It's important to train people who watch your kids how to be calm in situations. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. true. Anyway, well, not you got okay. She's okay. I I don't want to criticize your mom. She's a nurse. But what? She's a pediatric nurse for like forty years. Get the fuck out! Oh, I wow. swear. And she's in the other she's room with the vapors, out. and your daughter comes oh to my the God. door. My two-year-old comes to the door, covered it, in hives. It is different when it's you know somebody that's yeah. close to you, but for sure. So were you yelling at her? Like, you see, you see, your stupid minds, <laughs> stupid, stupid. That's terrible. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I just start I'm giving sorry, her directions, Lydia's mom, on, on sorry. what to do to go get my stethoscope out of the car and blah blah blah. So I try, I'm trying to put Benadryl in the so mouth. She needed somebody vomiting. to tell her what to do right yeah. then. So now you're throwing out commands, yeah. and she probably calmed down. She did, point. yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Establish some order, which is what we try to do in code situations, yes, right? Absolutely. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. Anyway, so the ambulance arrived a few minutes later. There was no getting Benadryl into her mouth. She was just it's just drooling. Drooling. And, yeah, out. Well, she had it probably obstructed. Yeah. Everything was so tight, swollen, swollen edematous that she just couldn't get anything down. Yeah. So we got in the ambulance, uh, and I said, "Let's give Epi right now." Yeah. 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 Epinephrine. The EMS crew said, well, her oxygen's okay. Oh, no, 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 no. They gave her a shot of Benadryl. I said, that will mask anaphylaxis and and airway closure. We need to give Epi. Yep. No, we don't need to give Epi. Did you assert your PA authority? I did not. We did not give Epi. I watched her vitals like a hawk. I held her while we went to the, got down to the Did they know you were a PA? They did. They didn't give a Yeah, and even uh, my my ex-husband was on the phone with one of them, ex-husband's a physician, Saying you need to give her epinephrine, and they're like, "No." Uh, okay, uh, okay, we got to talk about this. Yes. Yeah. Okay, well, go ahead and tell new, your There's story. a new training going on at that EMS center now. Uh, yeah, for real. Yeah. I mean, that's suspected. I mean, there's really no downside to the the doses of epinephrine that we give for anaphylaxis. Yeah. You know, for her, what would she have gotten? Like point one or point one five? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's really no downside to that. It's all upside. Right. And especially in a kid. 
And um, yeah, if if you see it coming, then you can give epinephrine. That's why they give people epipens. Yeah, they don't wait until they're drooling and puking and their faces bloated with hives to yeah. give it. You give it when you know it's coming. It was it was a it was a traumatic ride uh, down to the ER. So we got there though, and she did start responding. Yeah, uh, with the Benadryl, got more steroids in, Pepsid. They watched her for like six hours and said, "Yeah, we would have given epi, but because she was already starting to respond yeah, when she got here, she we were around. okay." Okay. So, um, but yeah, I saw the pediatrician and the pediatrician's like immediately we are doing, uh, you know, a new training with EMS teams. Apparently it happens a lot where people are afraid to give epinephrine yeah. because they think of some negative consequence. Right. Um, you know, classically in an adult, if you give epinephrine, you can warn them that they may have some chest pain, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, tachycardia. Um, essentially, it's a, a big uh, adrenaline. I'm just translating on the mm-hmm. floor. Thank you. Sorry. Mm-hmm. That's okay. It's all right. It's all right. <laughs> it's a big adrenaline uh, insertion into the body. Right. Yeah, right? that's what it is. Yeah. It's adrenaline. So, uh, anyway, she, she did all right. And now now I travel with EpiPens. Okay. So, what caused it? We, I'm not oh, sure. Oh, we still don't know. We don't know. She did have access to cashews. Um. Uh, like probably 20 minutes before she started vomiting. Mm-hmm. And I had never given her cashews, but I'm sure in cooking, you yeah. know, just I, I do a lot of like Indian cooking and yeah. curries. I'm sure she's had exposure to it, mm-hmm. which is an important point about anaphylaxis. Mm-hmm. You don't develop it the very first time you're exposed it's to something. second time or whatever. Yeah, it's yeah. The second or third time. So you get a little bit of exposure to it. Your body starts uh, priming the T cells or mm. makes T cells primed to it such that next time you get it, you get this huge release of inflammatory cytokines or these inflammatory molecules that cause mm. that reaction. Mm. So wow. we'll do the testing. Mm. Wow. Yeah. That's scary. It was scary. It was like thinking about a few minutes later if that ambulance hadn't been there. I had a, a friend of mine. Hmm. His kid was allergic to freaking everything. Oh, no. And they would come home and find him in anaphylaxis, you know, on the floor. And they'd have to give him epinephrine just so over and scary. over again. Because he smelled a, a, a pea. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, literally, it just opened something that had peas in it. And the kids, you know, on the floor. Oh, gosh. Yeah. He's now, um, they, at the time when he was little, they were wondering, you know, is he going to, you know, what's going to happen to this kid? And you know, and now he's the most one of the most successful pharmacists, you know, around. He didn't mind me talking about it because it's, yeah. cool. it's not like it isn't public knowledge. Right. <laughs> but, yeah. you know. but anyway, yeah, it's crazy. Wow. So anaphylaxis is a real thing, and you should not jack up the price of epipens. Oh my goodness! Yeah, six hundred dollars. What? To get Still? Four pens. Oh gosh. Mm-hmm. How much were they at the peak? It's 150 bucks a pen. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, okay, a vial of epinephrine. It's it, cheaper. Yeah, it's like <laughs> five bucks, right? Yeah, it is. Of EpiPens. I'm just. But you don't, in an emergency, you don't want to have to be figuring No, 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 no. <laughs> no, no. You, no, I don't. You and I could do it. I asked but, the pediatrician about that. I said, can I have some vials of Epi? Yeah, sure. You can buy them. I can get them for you. And yeah. I, I think, I mean, if I stayed calm during that situation, I think I could stay you calm enough it. to. Pull out. To pull it up, yeah. yeah. Okay, so in the two years since the national controversy erupted over the price of EpiPen, the market for epinephrine auto-injectors has changed dramatically. Two years ago, EpiPen, manufactured by, I'm not going to even say their name, had 90% of the market. Today, EpiPen 
Pen brand uh, accounts for just 10%. Well, yeah. Instead, the generic version of EpiPen, also manufactured by the same people, now holds more than 60% of the market. I'm just looking at the price. Oh, my God. Yeah, the um, the generic is still extremely expensive. There's... It's you're paying for the injector because it's proprietary. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's like we always tell people: if you can't afford androgel for your testosterone, get the just give yourself the shot. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. or go get the shot. Get a shot. Yeah. It's like ten bucks uh, every two weeks instead of whatever for the androgel. Yeah. I'm thinking to try it, switching over to the injections myself just for. I'll give you a shot in your ass. Well, you'd okay. like it. <laughs> <laughs> I will like it if it does. You might I like it to. from Tasty More. Yes. No. no. I've been, no. I've been using really. the shots for years. <laughs> way better than the gel. Yeah. I do the oh. shots. All the, oh, yeah. Way better. Well, you That's get that cool. sinusoidal yeah. thing. Normal. And we had a guy on the normal. show that he said it was more physiologic. I don't believe that because, the, you know, the testicles produce testosterone on an ongoing basis. There's not this sort of bi weekly up yeah. and down, but I think that getting that pulse probably. That you know, the week after you get it is mm-hmm. probably awesome. Yep. So yeah, I want to try it. Yeah, and <laughs> I think I think another reason you don't want to take the shots too too often. Needles are kind of big. They're like twenty twos. Are they twenty two yeah, gauge you needles? Much, yeah. You can't go much thinner because it's an old because it's place. thick. Yeah, it's yeah, thick, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's still not bad. Yeah, it's and they're intramuscular injections. Yeah, yeah, okay. yep. yep. And it's a deep. The it's depot. It's in oil, mm-hmm. so that it's not absorbed readily. It takes the body some time to leach it out of there. Mm-hmm. So, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. yeah, very interesting. Yeah, I think I'm going to try that. I would. On the uh, buy a vial of podcast, it. we're going to talk about it. We have a, a new um, sponsor over there that is apropos to this discussion. Oh, cool. But it doesn't have anything to do with testosterone. But it does have everything to do with. Giant meaty erections. Oh, goodness. Oh. Just a little teaser. Oh, goodness. I don't want to come. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll be That's here. That's what he that. said. You'll be. That's what she yeah. said. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. That was the f- I still think that was the funniest scene ever on The Office was when he was being deposed and they said something. And then it was almost as if they had been planning this for four years. And he goes, That's what she said, <laughs> trying to be funny. And they went, Wait a minute. She said that. <laughs> she said that. When did she say that? And he, you know, Michael Scott's backing off. He, he's like, he has this quizzical look on his face like, well, wait a minute. That's a joke. Like, All right. Um, so th- thank you, uh, Lydia, for uh, yeah. your, t- your topic time. Well, we're glad that little one's feeling better. It's Tacy's time. No, it's Lydia's time. I could tell. Can I, can't, I just say I one more quick here. thing? Yes, yeah, of course. I wasted one of those EpiPens. Yeah. There's another brand that's a square called AviQ. Okay. Uh, anyway, they have a, the trainer, and the trainer speaks to you, and the pen speaks to you, too, and they oh. look exactly the same. So we were cooking one day, and I was just going through the trainer just to be be prepared, and I was using the real pen. So and I administered. Injected yourself? <laughs> injected myself with epinephrine. Yeah, and what, and what happened? Absolutely nothing. Yeah. I got a white spot on my leg because it's a vasoconstrictor. Right, it, constri- it, um, it, it causes the blood vessels to con- contract. Yeah. And decreases blood flow to that area. And that was it. Wow. Anyway, wasted a hundred and something dollars. <laughs> 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 Felt really stupid. Yeah. yeah. That's At least okay. you practiced, though. I well, practiced. you also see that when you do it, if you don't need it, it the dose really doesn't do that much to you. That's what's right. amazing about it. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I've seen people who uh, got, um, like, they're at the allergist, 
and they gave them the 1 to 10 concentration instead of the 1 to 10,000 concentration mm. of whatever the thing was. And the people start going into anaphylaxis, and they give, that's, they give them the epi right then, and they're fine, totally mm. fine. Mm. Give them epi to get them out of the acute phase, give them some Benadryl to carry them through the day, and they're fine. Oh. Cool. Yeah, yeah, cool. Well, thank you, Well, I'm guys. glad she's okay. So, but it hasn't happened again. No, it has not. Isn't that something? Let's we're a bit of way. a we're a bit of a bubble family now. I love nuts, but we don't have any in my house right now. Yeah, how old do we'll they need to, be to start testing them? They can test now. They can. Yeah, you yeah. need to get her tested. Yeah, it's Tuesday. Is it, your Maybe mom did something to her? Is what it was? That's probably what it is. Yeah, <laughs> she was she probably felt, smoking. She felt suspiciously guilty. So, yeah. oh yeah, she probably had a stogie <laughs> or something. Well, it could be bag. a shellfish thing. Maybe she's feeding the mud bucks out of the creek. <laughs> oh my god! Because you know the hams are good. They're That's good quite for possible. You. <laughs> Give her some mud bugs, some mud bugs. <laughs> out of the creek. In the grits. <laughs> yep. Yeah, grits and mud bugs. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I love it. All right. Hi, Doctor Steve. I'm a longtime listener. Oh, wait a minute. Uh, so, number one thing, don't take advice from some asshole on the radio. All right, very Back good. in the original ONA days. Hey, thanks, man. Uh, my question is, and I'd like to thank you, first of all. For- well, what's funny is my two partners that are in here now have, have no idea what you're talking about because they are not plugged into the ONA uh, universe in any way whatsoever, so it's very interesting. For making me a critical thinker hey, thanks, regarding man. my medical condition yes. and medical and listening to my doctor. Anyway, my question is... Well, thank you for saying that. That's always been our goal, is you know, we goof around on this show a lot, but if you've listened for a long time, you do develop this sort of sense of critical thinking where, you know, we talk about relative risk, we talk about absolute risk, mm-hmm. Uh, what's the number needed to treat, that kind of stuff. So there is actual medical information right. being transmitted yes. to people. So anyway, let's find out what he's got. After a CBC blood test, why doesn't my... Okay, that was a complete blood count. Doctor, order a cancer screening. Okay, you, we have the perfect person here to answer this. Okay, so let me back it up. This is a really important question because P.A. Lydia works in oncology. After a CBC blood test, why doesn't my doctor order a cancer screening um, if my white blood count is higher and it's consistently higher? Instead, they send me to a hematologist who now orders it, which costs me a lot of more money. Anyway, thanks for the um, being. Thanks for educating us and educating me, and I look forward to hearing your response on air. Hey, thanks, man. So, uh, Lydia, let me set this up for you. So, you have a patient who uh, has a white count, and let's say the normal is 11.5, and theirs is always 13.7. And then it's 14, and then it's 12, and then, oh, this time it's 10.8, but then it's back up again. And uh, this this guy is saying, why can't my doctor just do some sort of cancer screening test? Mm -hmm. And instead, they're sending them to you to get this doped out. So... Uh, I, the first thing, I'll just say this from uh, the primary care side. They don't know what the hell to do. Mm-hmm. They don't know what to make of it. There isn't just, I wish we had just, uh, you know, an, a, one of those Star Trek auto, you know, med bots where you can just scan somebody and it says, yeah, this is what the problem is and here's how you fix it. But we don't have that. So you guys see these all the time on the hematology side. What do, what do you do with that? We do. Yeah. It's a, for us, a bread and butter con, uh, consult. And the, it's a very timely question because 
you know, as consults get sometimes overwhelming, I, I was working with internal medicine physicians in the community to be able to empower them to do some of this work Ooh, up, excellent. Uh, to save people what is a, a higher cost of coming to a specialist. Sure. You know, so especially for the anemias and stuff. We'll talk about that in a second. Yeah. So when we think about an elevated white blood cell count, um, you know, that can be something that's non-cancerous. Uh, so some type of inflammatory condition, even being overweight can cause a bit of inflammation that can raise your white blood cell count. But what you what you don't want to miss is a cancerous population of white blood cells right. that are causing the elevated white blood cell count, meaning there is a constant production of one type of white blood cell. That constant production does not turn off appropriately. Right. And those are immortal cells. Those are cancer cells. Right. Mm-hmm. So when we when we see a patient like that, we first think about all of the risk factors that could be non-cancerous that are causing it, but those are diagnosis of exclusion. Right. So our job, once you, you get referred, is to stuff. rule out the bad stuff. So we look at the entire system. We look at the kidney function. We look at the spleen, the size of the spleen. We look at the types of white blood cells there are. And the most uh, beneficial test is a flow cytometry, uh, where we send the vial of blood uh, for a pathologist to review. And then they also uh, sequence the cell DNA. And look at all of the receptors on those cells just to see if there are any uh, mutations or expressors consistent with cancer, with cancer cells. So, uh, you know, that flow cytometry, uh, spleen ultrasound or liver and spleen ultrasound, and then just a general look at other inflammatory conditions. Would you do all of that on somebody that just had, you know, 13.2, 13.7? You would do that sort of standardized workup on somebody like that? Because what are you you really worried about in somebody that... Yeah, so it depends on what type of cell line is elevated, yeah. right? So if they are lymphocytes, which would be the uh, most common right. and uh, most benign, if you had a white blood cell count that was elevated because of elevated lymphocytes, um, you know, most of the time it is a benign condition. Hmm. If it were a malignant condition, that would be called usually CLL or right. chronic lymphocytic leukemia. And we don't really worry about that until your white blood cell count gets above 100,000. It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. yeah so, CLL, it's, you know, people freak out because it is a leukemia. Mm-hmm. But um, it's like, yeah, oh, well, here you go. Here's a little hydroxyurea or whatever is it that you right. guys are using Yeah, now. we can, well, ibrutinib, yeah, ibrutinib uh, would be the yeah. first, uh, the first line. So anyway, it really depends on what types of white blood cells are elevated. If right. they're monocytes or eosinophils or something that would be a more aggressive cancer, if those were the ones that were cancerous, then we would immediately go to that. Yeah. If it's something where it's a very mild elevation in lymphocytes, we usually say continue monitoring you know, every three to six months. I don't know if I've ever seen an eosinophilic leukemia. Uh, there are. There are malignancies, but I'm not sure we would. It would have to be called leukemia. Yeah. No, uh, I bet no parasites can get in those folks, though, so, <laughs> yeah. since uh, eosinophils are pretty good for fighting parasitic hmm. infections. Anyway, yeah. Yeah, so so he should have been sent to a hematologist. Right. You agree with that? Yeah, I mean it's it's a lot of it's a lot of specialized knowledge to look, be able to look at someone and say with confidence this is something, and or it's not, or it's not. Mm-hmm. And so to expect you know someone who works in primary internal medicine or family medicine to have that level of expertise and make that decision, which yeah. to, is a big decision, I think is a lot. They could, and and they statistically could 
probably just blow it off. But that'll work nine times or maybe 99 times out of 100 or nine times out of 10, whatever the the number is for the people who actually have something serious. And you start, you can lull yourself into going, ah, that's not anything. And but it's the ones that you miss. That's that's where the tragedy happens. Right. Yeah. And then you get pissed off patients. Right. For sure. See, he's mad because he sent him to a hematologist. If he hadn't sent him to a hematologist and it turned out to be, you know, something bad down the road, then he'd be mad that he didn't send him. So you can't, you kind of almost can't win something. And so the the only way I could think about doing an internal medicine approach to the workup of that would be essentially to give the maximum screening to everyone or that very expensive flow cytometry test to everyone. That might not be appropriate. He might end up paying more out of pocket. Yep. You know, if his primary mm-hmm. care ordered that test. Yeah, so. one of the biggest things that wastes money is someone that comes in and says, I fainted. And then oh, they get yeah. a tilt table test, and <laughs> they get a stress test, yeah. and they get, you know, and then that, oh, that wasn't exactly normal, so now we're going to do a cardiac cath, and you spend $10,000, 20000 $50,000 and find out it was you just had a fainting spell. Yeah. It happens. Yeah. EEG. I was on the tilt table. Were you? I did. That oh, was yeah. a, that's a very archaic test. Yeah, but it's very. Uh, it gives you a lot of information. So let's talk about tilt tables since you brought it up. Did yeah. you vomit? <laughs> did you? I didn't, but I did have a syncopal <laughs> episode on the tilt table. Yeah. So people who faint, <laughs> and you think it's there may be a positional aspect to their arrhythmia or their blood pressure that you can throw them on this table. So talk about it. They strap you on there. It's they like an ancient. <laughs> it is. It's like an ancient. I um, can't remember if they establish IV access first. I feel like they should. Yeah. Um, but they strap you on a vertical table. So you stand up on kind of like on a little platform. There's a padded table against your back. And then uh, they tilt you to, uh, or, you know, you, you lie down actually first. And then they bring the table up to a vertical position yes. and you're strapped there. So you can't move your legs, which means you can't really flex the muscles in your legs that right. help uh, you support Keep your blood pressure. Your blood pressure. Uh, they strap your arms and then you have a blood pressure monitor and a heart rate monitor right. on you. And it continuously uh, on repeat checks your blood pressure, monitors your heart rate, and they just leave you there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, they can move you How around long? though too. They can spin you around how and put you yeah. upside down, all kinds of stuff. I can't, I, is it? I don't know how long the normal test is when they would actually stop it. It's I want to say either fifteen or thirty minutes. We could look that up. I, I passed out with, within I would ten go minutes. Insane. You did, yeah, yeah. And so what they do for you? So um, as I was having the syncopal episode come on, you know, you get this pre-syncopal episode where you start to get dizzy, right. you start to feel a little nauseous, a little tunnel vision, um, tunnel vision or yeah. black splotchy vision. Yeah. And you say, hey, it's happening. Uh, and they're like, oh, good. Yes. We'll just check your vital signs and, like, and watch your blood pressure not appropriately increase. Going I'm going right? down. I'm going down. So they let you <laughs> fully pass out, monitor what happens to your blood pressure and heart rate during that time. And then they lay you back down flat, maybe even have your feet a little bit elevated above the level wow. of your heart. And you come back, too. Wow. And then they say, yep. Which is the key, by the way. If you have somebody fainting, don't hold them up. If you hold right. them up, they will have a pseudo seizure. Put their, lay them down gently on the ground, and put their legs up over the level of their heart. They almost always wake up. Yep. It, all right. Very yeah, good. I'm with I'm with not cupcakes here. That says I'm no way I'd flip out too claustrophobic and being strapped down to a table. Yeah. 
And they can do anything to you at that point. I would be, I would be, let me out of this. And when you're passed out, they're grabbing your tits and stuff. Oh, God. That's a a different kind of. I would be cutting and falling, (laughs) That's just Saturday night at Lydia's. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry. In the dungeon. I I didn't mean to betray that confidence. (laughs) (laughs) It's time. You can't tell him anything, Lydia. On that note, let's do the mom swipes left uh, question of the week. Let's see. It's time for Mom Swipes Left Has Questions with Jen and Carol from the Mom Swipes Left podcast. Hey, Dr. Steve. Hey, Dr. Steve. It's Jen and Carol from Mom Swipes Left, and we have a question for you. Okay. Okay, little backstory. I was 24 years old. I woke up in the morning wearing my sleep t-shirt because I'm super sexy. Nice. Sat up and immediately noticed a sharp pain in my left tit. Every time I moved, it hurt even more. So I lifted my t-shirt, looked at my nipple, and saw a gray thing protruding from it. (laughs) I pulled it out, and it did not hurt. To pull out. No, it didn't. And it was a three-quarter inch piece of straight metal. No detail, nothing that was describable about it, except for the fact that if I held it between my pointer finger and thumb, there was a little bit of flexibility to it. What the fuck is that? <laughs> Do things just go into nipples? Like, <laughs> is it just that porous? <laughs> Did I roll over onto something and it got sucked up and into went, a nipple hole? Yeah. Please explain, because Carol thinks it's alien. I do. She's, I think I just rolled over on something. She I think get you a were abducted in the night, and somebody mm. from an alien ship put a tag into your nipple. But there was nothing <laughs> chunky about it. Doesn't matter. Their tech is way better than ours, Jen. They don't need it to be chunky. Hmm. But they probably didn't put it deep enough. Is what I'm thinking. Thank you, Doctor Steve. Thank you, Doctor Steve. <laughs> I don't know about the alien theory. Yes, it's a great theory, but incorrect. Yes. Um, Scott, you had an idea on this one. She rolled over onto something, stuck her nipple. Yeah, I think that, I think you may be right on that, that one. You, I've, I've got I'm, a story about that. If give you thyself a bell. But I have, I have a sort of more out-of-the-box hypothesis. Lydia, you got anything on this? No, I would expect that. Yeah. I mean, came into contact with with it in her t-shirt, but it was in the nipple. It was going so nipple has has holes in it because that's it's got to for you know babies to drink milk out of we for we forget forget that's what it's for. for? Yeah, a lot of milk came out of these. Yeah, and and intercourse is was initially designed to you know have the species go forward to the next generation, but we don't think about that that much either. (laughs) So, (laughs) I wonder what the proportion of of sexual congress is compared to that for procreation. In other words, recreation versus procreation. That's a whole other question. But, <laughs> but um, so there is a thing called nipple sounding. Okay. I think, was that Jen or, or Carol? I don't remember which one it was, but which, whichever one of you uh, this happened to, 
uh, there is a thing called nipple sounding where they take wi- people take wire and stimulate the nipple by placing wire into the nipple. And I wish that she were on the show right now so I could ask her, did you engage or were you wasted and some dude could have done some nipple sounding and maybe you forgot about it? Is that possible? Mm-hmm. Or could it have been done years before and the guy just went, oops, and, you know, and I mean, I've seen that happen. Um, do you remember these condoms called Magnums? Yeah. Now, I don't mean the Magnum size. They were called. They were brand name Magnum, and they had a hard rubber or harder rubber applicator. Mm-hmm. So what it was was the condom was rolled up in this in this sort of applicator, and you were supposed to put it on the end of an erect schlong, and then if you just gave a little bit of pressure, it would go whoop, and it would it would uh, load it onto the erect penis, mm-hmm. sort of like how. Maybe so. What I hear is the prostitutes will do where they put the condom in their mouth and then they'll, you know, insert the condom. Oh, that way. didn't know that was a trick. Yeah, that makes I've, sense. I've heard that. I, yeah. you know, so anyway. But then, <laughs> then what you're supposed to do is grab this applicator and twist it to the right and take it off, right? Well, um, so it's Sunday morning, and I'm re, you know, I found this at this. Um, package on the floor and I picked it up and said there's all kinds of writing on here I'll just read it and it was like now my girlfriend already laughed by the way and it said remove the applicator and I'm like applicator oh no uh oh no <laughs> so I didn't take it off but there was no applicator anywhere near where you know where the used condom was oh, so no. <clears throat> that was inside my girlfriend so she faked it no no I <laughs> there's no, no way that could have been <laughs> No, well, it's <laughs> it's only slightly thicker than the condom. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. Like a hard. No, 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 no. It's okay. not like a hard thing. Okay. But she had no idea it was in there. That's I had no so idea funny. it was in there. If I hadn't read that, I, that's probably why they're not on the market because it was a little bit too complex for the heat of the moment. I mean, and I had yeah. to make her come back and say, "I think there's something up inside you," and assume the you know the dorsal lithotomy so position. Of you. And I just. Got my hand in there and basically fisted her to get the thing out of there. Good Lord. Were you a medical student at that time? No, I was a resident. Okay, so it was inappropriate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 yeah no, I was, That's so funny. But that was, uh, <laughs> that was interesting. And I so that kind of stuff can happen. Mm-hmm. People uh, show up in the emergency room with paper clips in their bladders where mm-hmm. they, mm-hmm. you know, lost them because they were doing urethral sounding. Please don't do that, anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, so I wonder if this could have been an episode of nipple sounding because really, how do you, I mean, the odds that you would roll over onto a piece of wire and it would perfectly go up your nipple without you feeling it, but go ahead. I got a story for you. Okay. I, I Give was it to in, me. I was in college, yep. m- middle of the night, Okay, um, dreaming, got in a fight in a dream. Yeah. The guy stabbed me in the leg with a knife Yeah, and it hurt so bad it woke me up. And I woke up, and you know, it was and one of those push pins that was in the, in the wall above me mm-hmm. had fallen in my bed, and I didn't know it. And and I had rolled over on that push pin, wow. and it, and I literally was completely in, embedded in my leg. I just reached in and pulled it out. I was like, "Holy <laughs> cow!" So that's why I'm sticking to the ro- the rolling yeah. over in bed story. Okay, that's another right. point. That's that's so true, if it were story. sounding right, mm-hmm. you would expect maybe some attention to ducts, yes, right? right? And that shouldn't be extremely painful. Right. 
Whereas if it was something that was more traumatic, oh, well, it that's would not have attention to ducts. That's a good point. Meaning it would just go into the nipple tissue. But I would have thought that there would be blood and stuff. I, you would think there would be blood. The impression I got is it came out of one of the ducts of the nipple, mm-hmm. but I, maybe I'm misinterpreting that. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was actually just sticking through the skin. And in that case, mm-hmm. yes, that's where the sharp well, Maybe it came from, from a bra or something. Maybe a little wire. Yeah. Man, the wire... I think they're pretty. Sa- these two women are pretty savvy on the yeah. underwire stuff. I think they would, you know, she would have noticed that. But that's interesting. I, I'm, I'm going to have to punt on that one. But I'm going to give yeah. Dr. Scott a bell for yes. uh, Tacy, uh, wherever you are. <laughs> I'm up on you. That was a good one. All right, so we did that. that. Oh, here's a good one. You'll like this one. Hey, Dr. Stephen, friends. This is Evan from Wisconsin hey, calling. So, uh, had a quick question. Uh, it's kind of an interesting topic I think but basically uh, I'm in my early 30s right now but since I can remember I've basically been hearing voices either when I'm uh, close to falling asleep or right after waking up and sometimes it will uh, scare the the shit out of me yep. and I'm not you know it's it's uh, reason for concern you know I, I don't really talk to too many people about it but um yeah is that anything to worry about just if it's centered around bed time and also i'm a pretty prolific dreamer too like yeah hmm. i dream a, a bunch and yeah just wondering if that's any sign for concern or okay so anybody got anything i i know what this is well, I was just reading about auditory hallucinations uh, while you're falling asleep. Or what is that sleep. called? Uh, I don't know. I got my finger on the button. No, I don't know the name of it. God damn it. Scott, um, he's falling asleep. And oh, narcolepsy? No. No. <laughs> oh. no. It's called a... Um... <laughs> no. Instead of... Um, uh, hypnagogic. Hypnagogic. Hip- drink. Uh, hypnagogic auditory hallucinations. Give ourselves a bell. Yes. So, but he also has hypnopompic auditory hallucinations. So, and those are when he's emerging from sleep. So, and it's probably always REM sleep. But the hypnagogic ones are the uh, ones that I'm interested in. People can have visual hallucinations, moving shapes, colors, and images. And Dr. Scott and I have uh, an, a hypothesis that so far has borne fruit. Um, that um, the type of hypnagogic uh, episodes that you have, this is when you're falling asleep and you jerk, mm-hmm. uh, has something to do with things that you did repetitively in your past. So when I have it, it's somebody always kicking a soccer ball in my face, and I've played soccer in high school. When he has it, it's always somebody throwing a, a baseball, baseball in his always. face, and he played baseball in high school. And we've had other people call in saying the similar mm-hmm. things. And uh, so if you're if you're going from non-sleep to sleep, that's hypnogogic. If you're going from sleep to non-sleep, it's hypnopompic. And um, so but so that's the visual ones. But auditory hallucinations involve usually usually background sounds, but it could be a phone or a doorbell ringing or but people talking animal noises. Mm -hmm. You can have that. And uh, they're not usually. Associate. Oh, they're not story-like. Mm-hmm. Like dreams tell stories. Mm-hmm. 
you know, Paris is in my backyard. That's the one I always like to use. <laughs> right. Or my best friend from high school, Bruce Donahue, is skating in my on my linoleum floors. And I'm like, I didn't know you could do that. <laughs> didn't even think about it. He lives in Colorado. Why is he here? And why is he skating in my kitchen? Oh, I love it. You know? So dream logic is ridiculous, but there is a story there. There's kind of a beginning, a middle, and an end. But these things, there's no story. It's just events. So that's so. This person who has these going into sleep and coming out of sleep, if it, if you know, if it terrifies him, there are drugs that you can take to suppress it. He needs a sleep. Go to a sleep lab. Get a sleep study done. Okay. Yeah, especially Makes with all sense. the very vivid dreams he said that. He yeah, has. yeah, yeah, yeah. Which he, if he could control those, he could have a, a good time with that. <laughs> Tacy, I wish Tacy were here because she had hypnopompic uh, sleep paralysis, mm-hmm. and um, she would, when she was on the road, if she was really stressed out, when she was a, a you know manufacturer's representative, she would feel like somebody was laying on top of her and she couldn't move, and that's mm. classic. Maybe you, mm. you wake up. You hear weird things. She would hear the pitter-patter of, like, baby, like, toddler feet running away from her. Oh, jeez. And, you know, if you don't know what it is, you think it's ghosts or alien abductions or, you know, you're being molested by somebody. Mm -hmm. And uh, I told her um, all she has to do to control it, because I I got control of mine when I was having them, um, is to imagine her arm. You can't move it. It's paralyzed. That's okay. You're still dreaming. So just imagine that your arm is raising and then look at your hand. And if you can control it that far, it'll it's over. And she never had another one again. Huh. Just just having that like that weapon in her back pocket. My ex had those as well. Did he? And if you look on like uh, the internet or Google images, there are all of the photos of sleep paralysis, and it looks like a demon is sitting on your chest. Yeah, that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Sin, something like that. I, yeah. I've yeah. never had that. First time it happened to me. I've told this story before. Um, but there was a giant floating eye. I woke up in the middle of the night, and there was a giant floating eye just sitting there. In, in, and I could see all of the furniture in the room, everything in, in great detail. And there was this thing floating. And then it blinked, and I had like I felt like I was having a seizure. And then I woke up, and it was dark in there because it was dark in there. All of that that I was seeing was created by the cerebellum of my brain, the internal map that you carry with you of your surroundings. And it was so detailed that it, you know, I couldn't distinguish it from reality. Hmm. It was amazing. Wow. Yeah. So this gentleman, yeah, sleep study. Yeah, get a sleep study. There's it, drugs to um, to suppress it if you want to. But a lot of times, once you understand what it is, like once I understood you. what was happening to me, didn't bother as much. Then didn't bother me at all. I was yeah. like, oh, I'm having wow. one of these. This is kind of cool. Let me let me fuck around with it a little bit. I think the classic thing that a lay person or a non medical professional would think about when they're hearing voices is, am I do I have yeah, some type of psychiatric right, right. You know, condition and it doesn't sound like that? No, so. if it's always associated with induction or de-induction of sleep, then that's a sleep mm-hmm. problem. This one for you, Scott. Uh-oh. Hi, Dr. Steve. This is Phil from Tampa. I'm calling because I had a question about something I've been seeing on social media a lot recently. Or it might not be a new phenomenon, but uh, I've noticed that a lot of fitness influencers and basically people in general have been taking, like, ice baths a lot, where they will wake up and chisel the lightly frozen top layer off their bathtub and jump in and just, like, 
plunge in ice for X amount of minutes. And um, I know that in you know the NFL, they do that a lot. In a lot of sports leagues, after a rough day, you beat up, you want to jump yeah. in and cool off, sure. But like just to do that normally, it seems insane to me. But <laughs> I don't know if, if it is really helpful. I know there's cold sculpting and cold therapy, but it just it just seems kind of bananas. And then as a follow up, I've also seen people. Go from hot to cold. Oh, yeah, I used to you do know, that. Oh, from yeah. hot tub to... Yeah, I used to do that a lot. Um, I always felt like I was exercising my cardiovascular system because when you're in the hot tub, the blood vessels in your body dilate to radiate that heat out, and then you jump in the cold water, and then they clamp down again. It kind of gives you an interesting feeling. But uh, what do you think, Scott? You're the the sports medicine person um ice baths i well i know i know as a as a young person the ice baths i thought were torturous because you know you'd you'd, you'd roll an ankle or hurt your elbow and they'd make you stick in a bath full of ice and it was just yeah. awful yeah. because they didn't they didn't explain to you the the, the it's a direct anti-inflammatory it. right it's a direct anti-inflammatory you just thought it was the coaches were mean they sucked and they just want to hurt you <laughs> <laughs> you know what i mean but as an adult now the ice baths i like i actually like to do the cold water plunges yeah because it does, it stimulates it stimulates a, um, a, a really a healing response throughout your body. Um, su- supposedly, now this is what I'm reading. It, it increases um, uh, leukocyte production in your body. But what I do with blood cells, yeah, what what presumably improves your immunity. It's because you're stressing the shit out of your body. Yeah, yeah. But what I do now is is I take really deep meditational breathing. I get a big deep breath, and as I walk into this ice bath, I just breathe out, and then I just sit and just breathe and smile instead of panicking. And and it does feel so good when you get out. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, there's uh, there's claims that it improves mental health, that mm-hmm. it improves your immunity. I want to see the studies mm-hmm. to show that it actually does something. But I know decreasing total body inflammation, if it does mm-hmm. that, is good for it. It's a good thing. Yeah, and I, and I will tell you this: when we go, I take my dogs up on the mountain for for pretty long hikes. I'll come down and um, just kind of go in that that cold bath. For, That's different for five minutes. Post exercise, it's been demonstrated yeah. that it um, improves pain in muscles and also mm-hmm. improves healing. Yeah. yeah. You know, post-exercise, post-exercise recovery. Yeah, yeah. Di- yeah, so there's two different two different yeah, yeah, yeah. reasons yeah. for the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I like it. Yes, I don't know. I don't think it does any harm. No, I don't so think it does. Uh, it does cause do shrinkage, though. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> yes, it does. Hey, Dr. Steve. It's Dude Randall. Um, I was just calling about a question. I've got a problem with my uh, my face. You know, I get this uh, red, irritated rash from time to time. Um my wife originally thought it was like cradle cap. Cradle cap? What, are, what dude? How old are you? <laughs> I mean, literally, <laughs> we see that in one-year-olds. Oil-based product on my beard, but I'm finding it keeps coming back. You know. Okay, we're starting to run out of time. Anybody have any idea what it is? I mean, it could be. I saw Tinia Barbie one time, and I'll never forget it. Okay, so Tinia Barbie is okay. I'll give you a bell on that one. Give thyself a bell. That's one thing. So that is a fungal infection of the basically of the follicles of the beard. And uh, what else you got? Well, there's rosacea, but I don't think that's what it is. If she thought it was cradle cap, that's not it. I'm going to think, uh, uh, or I'm going to posit this probably a thing called seborrheic dermatitis. Okay. And what that is is um, it really is a a bacterial infection or a fungal infection, sorry, fungal infection. And shit, I can't remember what it is. Is it Malassezia fervor or something like that? Look that one up, Pia Lydia. Uh, that'll earn you a bell. 
um, for the, but we'll use um, Nizoral shampoo for that, and you can use it on your body as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, Nizoral is ketoconazole. It's an antifungal. And it works very well for that, if that's what it is. And if you can't get it under control on your on your own, see a dermatologist or go see your primary care, and uh, they'll you know we we make sure we're not missing something. Yeah, it is malassezia. Ooh, that's what I get. Where to go, Doctor? That's, Dr. The, that's the spaghetti and meatballs. Yeah, the spaghetti and meatballs. That's yeah. right. Yep, yep, very good. Doctor Steve, come no, through. I, well, but, yeah, but um, Lydia confirmed it. So, so that's a bell for Lydia. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. What do we got? I, I really want to do uh, the artificial sweetener story. Uh, we, we'll probably do that on the podcast uh, to this week instead of on the SiriusXM show. But So check that out and just go to wherever podcasts are found. And then um, let's do this one. Though. Hey, Dr. Steve. This is uh, Steve down in Daytona Beach, Florida. Hey, Steve. I used to live in Franklin, Kentucky, then well, Franklin, up. Tennessee, so I've been in your stomping ground. That's hey, city I'm wondering, We just turned 60, my wife and I. Why are we always grunting? We get out of bed, we spin down, pick something up. She's mad at me, so I'm saying, I'm going to call Dr. Steve and ask. All right, brother, appreciate it. Later. Well, okay, you got. I have an answer for this too. Well, usually getting up and grunting and carrying on, it is because it is because you got a little bit of arthritis, a little bit of decreased blood flow into those knees and joints and hips. But why grunting though? Why would why would joint pain cause them to grunt? Because you hold your breath because it hurts when you move. Okay, and that's yeah. Yeah. give you half a bell. Give thyself. Hey, cool. <laughs> I'm up one one point five to one, Lydia. Good job. <laughs> um, yeah, the uh, the the other thing is is that grunting. If you watch a tennis player, okay, they make the sound every time, mm-hmm. and you go, well, "Why?" That seems affectatious. So they go, "Wow, oh, 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 oh yeah. every time," you know. Yeah. But it actually has been. Uh, there's been some studies. Nobody knows 100 percent why, but there have been some studies that show that you can actually increase the force of contraction of some muscles by grunting. And some of this has to do with the adrenal complex. And uh, what do you got, Lydia? I can tell you're, you've got no, that look I, on your I'm, face. No, oh, I'm okay. just, it, that's, that makes wonderful sense. Yeah, I was just reading about middle-aged reasons for grunting. There's <laughs> okay, nothing okay, yeah. that is, yeah. Yeah, but they're, they're, huh. have, they've actually done studies on this. They had to be government studies because no corporation would fund this. But uh, where they looked at strength of contraction with grunting and not grunting, and it was increased when you grunted. So there you go. So that, it may just be that you're a little out of shape, and uh, therefore you need that little bit of extra force that grunting provides, and we just do that naturally. I know I grunt when I uh, turn over in bed. It's weird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's really sexy. Anybody want to check it out, email me, <laughs> drsteve.com. Anyway, all right, we've got a couple other uh, questions that we can do while we are waiting for the music, and one of those is this one. Hello, Dr. Steve. I was calling because I have a question about a news article um, that says the sweetener, artificial sweetener, I guess, erythritol causes... Um, Blood clots and heart attacks and strokes and shit like that. <laughs> um, can you give me some like I was I wasn't able to go on PubMed.gov and find the actual That's study. Okay. I did that. For um, you. How it was done and such. 
could you like give us some information on that, please? And thank you. Bye. Yes. This uh, was all over the news. Did you guys see it? Mm-mm. Okay. The, 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 the sweetener in question was erythritol. Now, this was in Nature Medicine, a good journal. Okay. But I am a little bit pissed off about this, as usual. I'm going to start doing a show where I just bitch and complain about medical journalism until maybe somebody pays <laughs> some attention to this. Because um, th- this kind of, it, it, there's a little bit of bullshit to this one. Uh, it's interesting to to know and it's important for us to follow up on it but the the media frenzy based on this study is is what i'm saying is a little bit of bullshit so first thing can we look and see what products use erythritol in them as a sweetener because it ain't diet coke mm-hmm. that's aspartame we've already dealt with that a thousand times on this show and you know i i think some of the it, it it's a sugar alcohol by its name so it Probably like chocolates and stuff like that may may have like Atkins style low carb chocolates may be sweetened with it. But can you guys find anything that is sweetened with this stuff? So that's the first thing. So this is what happened. They recruited a bunch of people that had pre-existing cardiac risk factors, right? And this was international study. They tracked their health over time, and then they took blood samples. And they just looked at everything. Okay. This is what we call a fishing expedition. Okay. okay? Uh, they weren't even setting out to study erythritol. And that is the first thing we talk about when we're designing a study mm-hmm. is that you have to define what the F you're looking for. And then you got to define your endpoint. What's going to, what are you going to say is a positive result or a negative result, mm-hmm. right? Okay. You have to do that. They didn't do that in this. This is just, let's look at a bunch of people, draw a bunch of blood, see what we can find. So uh, that what they found was uh, uh, the number one elevated uh, co- or molecule in these patients who had who went on to have a heart attack or had a stroke was erythritol. That doesn't mean they were ingesting erythritol. Mm-hmm. We don't know. Mm-hmm. We don't know what they were drinking or eating or anything. We again, we don't know if this is a marker mm-hmm. for heart disease, which would be awesome to know. Mm-hmm. Hey, you got a high erythritol level. You got a high C-reactive protein. You're at risk for heart disease. Okay, that would be awesome. Uh, or is it that if these pe- if people eat erythritol-containing substances, uh, that it makes them at risk for heart attack? And then in that case, we'll say take this shit off the market. You know, mm-hmm. all right. So those who had high levels of erythritol in their blood were more likely to suffer a major cardiac event within three years than those with lower levels. So, okay. So, yeah, there is a sweetener called erythritol. Mm -hmm. Some people eat it. Then some people have high levels of erythritol. We don't know if there's a connection between the two because we don't know if these people were eating erythritol. All right? Now, yes, so, but high levels of erythritol are associated with you know, increased clotting and stuff like that. So there you go. So what are you going to do? So what, what now what they need to do is let's design a study 
to determine whether ingestion of erythritol is an issue. It's really easy. We've done this a thousand times on this show. Oh, you take a thousand people and you give them who are not, and none of them can already be taking erythritol. And, uh, or, no, that, this is going to be unethical. Because I was yeah. going to say, give half of them erythritol and see how many heart attacks they have. You're going to have to find a population of people that are already ingesting erythritol and then match them patient for patient with people who don't ingest erythritol and then see if there are increased erythritol levels in the people that are doing it and do they have more heart attacks and stroke over time. That's about the only ethical way you could do this. Now, if you find in the group of people that do not ingest these um, products that they some of them also have high erythritol levels and they have heart attacks and there's uh, then then basically you're uh, disproving your hypothesis because uh, the it, it's not the ingestion and then erythritol itself becomes a marker that we can use to detect people who are at high risk for heart attack and stroke might even be better than um, cholesterol we'll see yeah I'm Hoping that's what it is. I'm hoping it's got nothing to do with what you eat. It just has to do with some factor in your body that makes you at risk for a heart attack. Mm -hmm. And then you just draw that. And you see, now we've got to compare that, see if it's more sensitive or specific than, than cholesterol alone. There's a, a bunch of studies that can stem from this. That makes sense? Yeah. Did you know your erythritol is found in a lot of natural? Sure, yeah, yeah, yes, absolutely. I was gonna say we're in trouble. It's in, it's in beer, soy sauce, yes, wine. We're in is... trouble. <laughs> so you know, yeah. What are we gonna do? Yeah. And they say, "Ooh, artificial sweeteners! <laughs> it's artificial sweeteners!" <laughs> it's like it's in everything. Yep. Stop it! Now, have you found anything, any products? That actually are sweetened with erythritol. No, yeah, you the, couldn't find it. Bi, no, I didn't look. B A I drinks. Bio. Bio. I like Bio. Um, Blue Sky is a craft soda made by Coca Cola Company, okay. and then the Halo ice creams. Well, there you go. That's really. If it turns out that these people in this study, the four thousand people. Or the the ones that had or were using the, just those products, then okay, right. yeah. But you know, you can't take this stuff out of everything. I think it's going to end up being a marker. I think some people mm -hmm. either accumulate it, and that also that pat that chemical pathway in the body is also associated with making plaques in the in the um, heart. You know, something. Yeah, like, it's going to be something like that. Things like that. Yeah, yeah mm -hmm. it's going to be something like that. Okay, oh, interesting. But, uh, yeah, erythritol is considered one of the more natural sugar substitutes that's emerged as an alternative to artificial options popularized through the ha last half century. This Stop it with this. Stop saying artificial sweeteners are the problem. They do not know that. It is an artificial sweetener. They don't know that that's why these people had elevated. You know, they're making a connection that isn't there. It's a, maybe Stop a correlation. It. May or right? Not, not. We I don't for, even want to say that. They shouldn't even be bringing it up. But yeah, they should say, "Oh, erythritol is in all kinds of shit that we eat, mm -hmm. and also is sold as an artificial sweetener mm -hmm. that's hardly used in hardly effing anything." Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> God, get them, Doctor Steve. Sick them, sick them. Makes me mad. Hell. All right. Uh, oh, here's a good one. 
Let's do this one. We'll, we'll close it out with this one. But I really do want to um, talk about this. And then I've got a show i got to do. It uh, hey, Dr. Steve, this is Dean in the Northwest. Hey, and Dean. Uh, I heard um, one thing that they say is that uh, the um, uh, anal sex makes the um, butthole, uh, makes the ass bigger. Uh, yeah. My question is, does it make... Uh, does it, do they mean that when they say that? Do they mean that it makes the um, the, the actual ass bigger or the actual hole? Oh, okay, I got it. Uh, okay, yeah. So it's a it's an excellent question. Is that, are there downsides to anal intercourse? Because the one thing you don't want to do is engage in something like that and then be just dropping loads around the mm-hmm. house or you know the sidewalk when you're walking around. And uh, so they did a study on this. They did a thing called anal manometry. Good. Yep. So you stick a balloon that's partially inflated up somebody's ass, and you say, squeeze down. And they squeeze down, and you get a certain pressure. You, you, It's hooked up to a pressure gauge, and you can see how much force can they apply to the balloon. Then you tell them, go out and have a whole bunch of anal sex and come back. <laughs> and this isn't really how we do it. What you would actually do is find a population of people who have never had anal sex and then a population that have and then compare them against a normalized curve but anyway but you you go have a bunch of anal sex and then come back and we'll shove this manometer up your ass and have you squeeze down on it again and what they found is there is a decrease in the amount of force that can be applied when you are having uh, anal intercourse or if you're doing ass play with devices that are about the size of a normal human penis but the thing is is that it doesn't cause them to be incontinent there's plenty of um, uh, reserve uh, co- you know force redundancy force yes plenty of that so that you can lose a little bit of it that's why you know it would be dumb if we were just designed that if we just lost a little bit of tone in our sphincter that all of a sudden we'd just start shitting everywhere that would be terrible yeah, yeah it would be and when you're running away from saber-toothed tigers you don't want them to be able to track you because you're dropping loads everywhere that's why we developed a continent sphincter you know so yeah. birds it doesn't matter they just shit whenever because they have cloacas but they can fly they can fly away well, you know birds have wings right yeah no, no super two tigers gonna chase them but because they're dropping loads everywhere no. well. that's why they didn't develop that yep <laughs> so anyway. oh my god all right well uh so uh yes there is some loss of tone and it is in the sphincter muscle yeah, but it is something you can deal with. All right, let's get out of here. Uh, thanks always go to Dr. Scott, uh, PA Letty, always a delight. Hope you can come more often. Tell your mom uh, not to listen to this episode. Uh, thanks to everyone who made this show happen over the years. Listen to our Sirius XM show on the Faction Talk channel. Sirius XM, channel 103, Saturdays at 7 p.m. Eastern, Sunday at 6 p.m. Eastern on demand, and other times at Jim McClure's pleasure. Many thanks to our listeners whose voicemail and topic ideas make this job very easy. Go to our website at drsteve.com for schedules, podcasts, and other crap. Until next time, check your stupid nuts for lumps. Quit smoking, get off your asses, and get some exercise. We'll see you in one week for the next edition of Weird Medicine. I'm going to go check myself into the tuberculosis ward. Thank you very much.